Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews Podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews, author interviews and book reviews. How are you all doing today? Well, I was helping us a fate yesterday. I was helping my mother with the raffle. And when I agreed to it, I have to say, I was just looking forward to sitting down with her and having a nice natter. I thought it'd be quite easy. There'd be a lot of cake there and it'd just be a lovely time. It was, oh, I'm throwing books already. It was a lovely time, but I had no idea how busy we were going to be. My goodness, if you want to make money for a charity, have a raffle. People love a raffle. And, of course, the event was going on for some hours, so people couldn't always stay to the end for the draw of the raffle. So we had to take people's numbers. Only most people these days don't just have their home number. They've got their mobile number, which is very long. And then you're writing it. Say someone would say, I have five tickets. You've got to write it on the back of each ticket. My handwriting, it started well. It ended badly. And I thought to myself, well, it doesn't matter because I'm going to be the one pulling them out of the bag or someone else pulls them out of the bag and I can read them. So I don't need to worry about my old handwriting I'll be doing the reading. So it's fine. Stressy, stressy, writing, writing, quick, quick. No time to natter to my mum. But anyway, it was lovely. So many people, although some people, you know, when you know someone and they know you and they say, oh, Philip, and I see you. And you're just like, I don't know your name. I've forgotten it. And yet you've got to write their name down on it. And you're squeezing your brain trying to remember who, who it is. So some people had been in the pantomime with me and I could remember their pantomime character, but not their name. So some of them were writing all their pantomime characters. But I thought, again, it's fine. Anyway, they say, right, time to do the drawing. I stand up. The bucket with all the raffle tickets gets passed on to somebody else who draws it and reads it out. So I'm stood there at the back with the, my hands on my head thinking, oh, no as they really tried to read. Anyway, it was a disaster. But I've got some books to tell you about today. Some brilliant books to talk to you about, all coming out sort of now-ish. And I can't wait to tell you about them. So we've got Just Between Us by Adele Parks. And Adele's going to come on and talk to us about that book. Then we've got In Bloom by Eva Verdi. And Eva's going to come on and talk to us about that book. Then I'm also going to tell you about So Late in the Day by Claire Keegan. Claire's new book is coming out. We've got The Turn Glass by Gareth Rubin and The Body on Scaffold Pike by S.J. Brooke. Is it Scaffold or Scarfle? 
I should know that, shouldn't I? Scaffold, scaffold. I'm going to say both. The body on scaffold, scaffold, pike. So let's get started. Anyway, Just Between Us by Adele Parks. Let me read you the blurb of this one. How do you find a woman who didn't exist? Kylie Gillingham's disappearance has gripped the nation. The woman with a shocking secret, married to two men at the same time, is missing, presumed dead. And both her husbands are suspects. DC Clements knows the dark side of human nature and that love can make people do treacherous things. You can't presume anything when it comes to crimes of the heart. While Kyla's two husbands remain prime suspects, her sons won't accept that she is dead. Until a body is found, this scandalous and sad case remains wide open. Stacey Jones lives a quiet life in a small village, nursed by her father as she recovers from illness, shielded from any disquieting news of the outside world. But their reclusive life is about to be shattered. How are these families linked? And can any of them ever rebuild their lives in the wake of tragedy? Oh, what a great book. Let's talk to Adele now. It is my huge pleasure to welcome to the podcast today the one and only Adele Parks, whose latest truly fabulous book is called Just Between Us. Adele, welcome to the podcast. Hello, how lovely to be here. It's great to talk to you. I've admired your books for so long, so it's really exciting to talk to you. Can you. you start by reading us the first few sentences of this wonderful book? I can. Chapter one, DC Clements. There is no body. A fact DC Clements finds both a problem and a tremulous, tantalizing possibility. She's not a woman inclined to irrational hope or even excessive hope. Any damned hope, really. At least, not usually. Kylie Gillingham is probably dead. Experience would suggest this sort of situation has to end terribly. When a wife disappears, all eyes turn on the husband. In this case, there is not one, but two raging husbands left behind. Both men once loved the missing woman very much. Love is just a shiver away from hate. Oh my goodness! <laughs> Did you enjoy that? I love that so much. Right, can you give us a bit of a summary of this book? Yeah, so Just Between Us is quite a surprise to me because whilst it's a standalone and anyone can come to it and read it, it's the very first book of mine they've ever read. If you have read both of you, and quarter of a million people did buy both of you, so I think somebody must have read it. It's also a continuation from both of you. So the story is about, in both of you, the story is about two women go missing and they leave two husbands behind. And then we discover she's actually the same woman and she's a bigamist. And that's all of both of you. Spoiler alert for both of you. But for Just Between Us, I wasn't planning on writing a sequel at all. But my readers, after I finished both of you, I left it on quite an ambiguous note. I didn't quite tell you where she ended up because she is such a mysterious, enigmatic character. I didn't quite finish up. I didn't quite say who was going down for it, although I thought it was pretty clear where the evidence was pointing. So this book picks up the story of how the family survive after she's gone. So this woman who, you know, they miss, they once loved, but her disappearance exposed the fact she was a bigamist. So her children are devastated. 
Both her husbands are furious and and she's still missing. So they're grieving for her and they don't know where she is. She might be lost. She might be missing. She might, might be murdered. They do know she went under violence circumstances. But this is a book about how families piece themselves back together after a tragedy. And I really enjoyed writing it, even though even though I wasn't expecting to write it. Funny that. Interesting. So had your publishers suggested writing no, up? My, it literally was just It was your my readers. readers. Yeah. Oh. So my first reader was my sister. And when she read both of you, I was convinced that she would be a little bit harsh on Kylie because Kylie's a bigamist. And my sister is super judgy, and very moral. But she wasn't at all, which suggested I had done quite a good job of getting inside the mind of this bigamist. And she said, oh, I think she disproportionately suffered. Why didn't you give her a clean ending, whether that ending might have been death or if it was death, then somebody needs to, you know, be prosecuted. And there needs to be a level of sort of resolve. I think we expect that from our books. Mm. And I had written it as my 21st novel and I had written it, the both of you, during lockdown. And so I felt our lives were incredibly controlled. And I'd on purposely given my readers the opportunity to take control of this book. And if you're very optimistic, you would have decided one ending for her. If you were quite realistic, another. And if you were pessimistic, the third. And I wanted to give us that freedom because I felt everyone else and everything else was taken away from us. But as time went on, other readers, not so much my British readers, actually, funny enough, British readers seemed to be quite comfortable with the fact that they could take this story on in their own way. But when I launched in America, I had over over a thousand within a short time letters saying, no, but really, I want to know what happened to the family. I love these families. I love both men. Nearly everybody was in either Camp Dan or Camp Mark. You know, you, yeah. you, choose, you, you choose who <laughs> she should have been with. And there's boys, there's two young t- tween age boys that have her up their own voice too. And people were very sympathetic to them. And I just sort of thought, you know what? I love my readers. I'm very involved. I, I do all my own social media. I answer all my own emails. Sometimes I take a wee while because I do do it all myself. (laughs) But I genuinely think it's the biggest compliment on earth if somebody not only spends money on you buying your book, Mm. that's one thing, but perhaps more importantly, they spend time with you by reading your book. It's a huge commitment asking someone to read something you've written. And so if my readers wanted more from me, I was going to deliver. So yeah, it wasn't the publishers. In fact, when I went to them, they were quite surprised when I said, oh, look, I think they're going to do this next. They were delighted because it had sold. And obviously they would hope that the next one would too. But uh, but yes, I think everybody was just a little bit excited about what happens next. And the best friend is left behind and female friendship so interesting to us. So I think a lot of people wanted to know what happened next. It's also standalone, which was super complicated. You know, trying to keep readers who'd already read both of you interested and not repeat stuff, mm. but also not leave anybody behind if this was the first time they were coming to these characters, you know, make sure that I had to make sure that there was depth to these characters still. I think you could actually read just between us first and then go back and read the the first book 100%. and learn more. I think it's great. Yes, because yes, you could read it. And that's exactly how it happens, because you can read just between us and she remains an enigma. You don't mm. understand why she's done these things. Mm. And then if you went back over and read it, you'd have a different experience. And actually, isn't that life? 
Because whenever we meet anybody, we don't meet them knowing everything about them. Mm. We get to know them and we learn bits of their backstory as and when they're ready to tell us. Or sometimes we've been told all about a person before we meet them. And so we come with preconceptions. Mm. And I feel coming to this book is going to be a little bit like that. Either you already come and you feel you know her because you've already had a relationship with her, or you come and you just see her through the eyes of the people left behind. Oh, very profound, Adele. Very good. For this early on in the day, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I'll give you a gold star for that. <laughs> oh, good, because I'm such a girly swat. I love gold stars. How did you manage writing that storyline? Was it was it harder because it was a follow-on, but as you say, very much a standalone? Yes, it really, really was. Because I left the first book on a cliffhanger. And I mean a literal cliff. So I start this book just between us with the police at the cliff, you know, trying to make a sense of what's gone on. And so I'd already give them, given them geography. And sometimes when I start, so this is, this is my 23rd novel. And whenever I start a novel, I really enjoy the fact I get to go somewhere new and mm. research it and get you know, get involved in the area and the local people and maybe understand the customs and, and things like the light and the sounds that are all there. So first of all, I'd already given myself geography. So that was a decision already made. <laughs> but I had written both of you and set both of you in lockdown, but I did not want Just Between Us to be set in lockdown. I wanted to move it on because I feel we're all over it. We, you know, we, we just, mm. we want to move on with our lives. So I had to structurally jump, but explain what had happened within that jump. Equally, I had left people in certain relationships, damaged relationships, budding relationships. So, you know, it was my sort of duty to to finish those off. But I sort of, so that I had to sit back and think, right, well, where are those relationships going? What would happen? And actually, even with both of you, in the back of my mind, I sort of knew where those relationships were going. But I hadn't flushed through the details of the timing and how everybody else would be affected by them and all the things that make up a book. So, yeah, it was, a, it was I keep telling people it was an intellectual challenge. But I don't know if that's the right word. I, I definitely mean it was like a puzzle. There were certain parts that I already had given to me rather than me make that. So... It was like receiving a jigsaw puzzle and the pieces are already there and I had to put them together in a coherent way where normally when I'm writing a book, I can cut that jigsaw, that picture up and make my own jigsaw however which way. I suppose it was like that. And has that affected your writing for the next book? Have you Has that sort of transformed what you do or are you was that very much a one-off? Well, I think what it's definitely done is it's opened my mind to the fact I could go back to characters. I love characters. I love plot. I mean, I write genre books. I write, you know, I've written in all sorts of genres, but these are psychological thrillers and psychological thrillers are very much dependent on, I think, plot. Readers expect certain tropes. They expect a twist. They expect mm. a puzzle. And I like to deliver and I hope over deliver on those expectations. So plot is very important to me, but for me, characters where it's at. I'm very involved with my characters. I spend a lot of time, this is going to sound slightly crazy, but I interview my characters before I start writing. 
so that I know them inside out. I know silly facts about them, like were they your favourite child? Do they have an outfit they feel confident in? What's their biggest secret that they've never told anybody? So a lot of things that don't make it into the book, I do know about these people. So I love characters and yet there's 100,000 words and then you're done. So the idea that I may have other books that I would go back to. I know there are books that people have said, oh, I would love to know what happens to, say, the children or, you know, the subplot. Where would those characters, how would they develop? So I think that's a possibility. But in fact, book 24, when I started it after finishing Just Between Us, and I'm, I'm actually nearly finished book 24, I just started afresh with that joy of, like, okay, these are completely new. But I did make my husband laugh, actually, on book 24, one of the characters, Emma, she swims every day. And the other day I said to my husband, just out of the blue, well, she does three different strokes and she does 10 lengths of three different strokes. And he said, oh, is that in the book? And I said, no, I just know she does. And he said, you're quite mad, aren't you? You're slightly balmy that these things are happening in your head. And of course that wouldn't go in the book because that, that's probably a little bit too much detail. It's a bit boring, but it sort of helps me understand her mindset. So when you're interviewing your characters before you write them, are you there making notes or are you yeah. just remembering it? You know, have you got the most incredible uh, memory? Well, when I was young, when I was young, I used to remember an awful lot more. Now I am not as infallible <laughs> and I do make notes. Also, notes are really useful because things that you might think your character is, and honestly, I, do, I am very aware I sound bonkers, but things your character is telling you might seem unimportant as they are telling you them, but they come into their own later on and they become more important. So, for example, in Just Between Us, Kylie leaves behind two boys, one 15 turning 16 and one 12, and they both have a viewpoint and write a, an occasional chapter. I mean, they don't, I do it, but you know what I mean. Yeah. It's from their point of view. And both of those boys have a very different relation, had a very different relationship with Kylie. So their grief is very different. So the older boy who had already started to go through sort of the rebellion and pushing away his parents. So his grief is about he pushed her away too early and now she's gone. And he actually knows that he was pretty mean to her in those last few six months, say, and he has that grief that's caught up with guilt. And the younger boy just adored her. He was still at that little boy stage that needed his mum. So his grief is very much, he's falling into a black hole. He has no, nobody, he doesn't know who can save him. And when I was developing those two forms of grief, and that is just, you know, the a chapter each sort of thing, that, that's chapter each. But later on in Just Between Us, when the boys are trying to solve the case themselves, which is quite heartbreaking, but they do because they're children and they, they, they can't accept this has happened, their levels of grief cause problems between the two of them, but also offer solutions between the two of them because they approach the problem in a different way. It's wonderful. Well, we come to the last question, Adele, which is the most crucial one. So please prepare yourself. And that is, what biscuit powered the writing of Just Between Us? Oh, you know, this is going to be, I bet nobody's ever said this. You know those little sesame snaps? They're like little sesame seeds covered in honey and you get three yeah. in a pack. 
Yes. I love those. I mean, they're a bit annoying. You always get a little sesame seed in between your front teeth, which isn't the best look. But I love those. And the reason I love them, there's three in the pack. So, you know, one biscuit, nobody's going to accept. Two biscuits, you kind of go, okay, that's a reasonable amount. And that's where I should stop. But none of us really want to. So three little sesame snaps makes me very happy. And uh, yes, that and, uh, and black coffee and Diet Coke. Yeah. Which all of that. And one of them's really healthy. You know, sesame snaps with honey. That sounds really healthy. Health food. I mean, I'm impressed with that. Oh, it's really sweet. It's really nice. Try it. It's probably one of those things that's got about a million calories in because... We'll and they, and they sell it as a health food, don't yeah. you? But I don't care because it's just lovely. Yeah. Well, if that's what powers the writing, that's fine. Keep eating them, Adele. It's just wonderful to talk to you about. <laughs> just between us, Adele Parks, thank you so much. Thank you. Coming up, one more author interview and more book reviews. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And let's go straight on to In Bloom by Eva Verdi. Let me read you the blurb for this one. Delph has kept herself small and quiet as a form of self-protection ever since the love of her life, Sol's untimely death, left her pregnant and alone at the age of 24. Theirs was such a -a once-in-a-lifetime love that the loss of her soulmate broke her heart and almost broke her too. Years on, Delph's protective bubble bursts when her daughter Roche moves out of the flat Delph shares with her partner Itzy and in with her estranged nan, Moon. Now that it's just the two of them, the cracks in Delph and Itzy's relationship begin to grow. Feeling on the outside of the bond between her fierce yet flaky tarot-reading mother and volatile martial arts champion daughter, 
Delve begins questioning her own freedom. Is her life with Itzy all it seems? And has keeping small and safe truly been her choice all these years? Wow, what a book. And let's go and talk to Eva now. Well, it is my huge pleasure to welcome to the podcast today, Eva Verdi, whose fabulous book is called In Bloom. Eva, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Philippa. Thank you. It's great to talk to you and find out more about this book. But can we start, as we always do, with you reading the first few sentences? Yes, certainly. The danger of a single story. Delph's not taken any chances by keeping her phone on. Tracking apps are not beyond Itzy, yet it's remarkable how it's only now, in the biting reality of this sad and sorry Friday afternoon, that his distrust starts to bother her. Fantastic. (laughs) Can you give us a bit of a summary of the story? Yeah, sure. In Bloom is it's about three generations of imperfect women from the same fractured family who have got to really re-establish their bond, which is a really strong love bond, to sort of overcome all that's holding them back from truly flourishing in their lives. For the mother, Delph, it's escaping an incredibly toxic and controlling relationship. For her daughter, Roche, it's believing she's enough to follow her dreams to university. And for Moon, the nan, it's it's to, to begin to heal from a deeply traumatic childhood. In a yes. nutshell. <laughs> Big nutshell. It's a lot going on. It's a, a, a book There's of, so much going of emotions. On. Yes. And so Definitely. I have to ask, what inspired you to write this story? Oh, gosh. I, I don't know. They just, the characters just showed up in my head. I think if you're talking about anything other than writing, you'd sound completely loopy. <laughs> but they did. This These people just sort of rocked up in my head and telling me this so I could sort of hear them, how they sounded, sort of their mannerisms were building. I'd sort of get these little snippets of scenes, but I didn't know how to put all that in my head down on paper. And for that, I was quite stuck for some time how to put it down. Would it be first person or, you know, because I felt it just wouldn't be half the story if we only had one narrator. We needed all three women to sort of tell their thoughts. Yes, and how it all sort of adds up and they're different element. Yes. So how how did you come to that moment of right this is happening? I think I just thought it's better to have some words than no words at all. So I thought whatever I put down on paper can be reworked and I can worry about it as I go along, but the deadline was getting closer and closer to really I just had to throw caution and get on with it. And I just began it just each person just sort of bled into a new scene and uh, sort of picked up from where the other one left off and it just it just became the pattern really. And then the flashbacks obviously came at the end, sort of were good sort of ways of sort of splicing the current thread of tale with the bit background. Now, yeah, tell us a bit more about the characters. I don't want any spoilers. We don't have spoilers on this podcast, but can you give us a bit more of a flavour of those characters? Yes, sure. Delphine, Delph, our main character, she's she's 42 and has had a really sort of traumatic experience. And she, her mum wasn't the most reliable, her mother Moon for various reasons, which we we sort of drip-fed throughout the story in the form of flashback. But we we meet Delph at 42 as a very quiet, frightened, fearful person who's had a big shock. It's probably not a spoiler, it's page one. She discovers she's pregnant and she is in the process of having a termination, which is quite a bold way, I think, to, to open the story. But it begins to make sense and 
I do I do like to write a character where, you know, you're a bit morally ambiguous. You know, it's quite a every person's different and every circumstance is different. So it's it's sort of quite quite a quite a shocking way into to this woman and, and where she where we find her quiet, traumatized, but sort of waking up to realizing this isn't the life she wants any longer. And what about the other character? The other character, she has a daughter, Roche, who is 17 and bolshy, can't control her emotions, which she's very bright, she's very funny, but she's caught in worrying forever about her mum and the relationship she's in with Itzy, who she's never really felt has been a wholesome father figure. She's been disgusted by his misogyny. From the moment she sort of could understand and piece together what what things like that meant in his behaviours towards her mum. And we meet Roche at a point where she just can't tolerate living under his roof any longer. So despite wanting to still protect her mum, it's sort of her moment to learn to stand on her own two feet, which brings her to the door of her her estranged grandmother, Moon, which is how she is introduced back into the picture. Her and Delph haven't been in contact for about five years, although they still live in the same town and sort of have glimpses of each other. But slowly we begin to understand sort of the, the influence Itzy has had in sort of keeping the women apart. He has been sort of the thorn in all their relationships and uh, he needs to be dealt with. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And it packs such an emotional punch did those characters stay with you afterwards yes and it was very hard to write at times digging deep into sort of the emotion and putting yourself in the shoes and feeling what these women particularly Delphine and her mother Moon the situations the lives they've led Mm. the experiences they've had no I did a lot of reading around it and sort of a lot of talking with friends and it's all sort of come from threads of truth and again and it's a yeah, it was hard. And I think that's why it was so important to add the, the sort of the humour and the far lighter elements, because there's a lot of sort of positivity. And I think the light and shade in this book in particular is really necessary. Yes, I was going to ask you about how you manage the emotion so that we're not just completely worn out and in a heap on the floor. And you're yes. right with the yes. sort of the humour and the, the light that comes through. Was that... Did that happen just as you were writing it or did you have to go back and say, right, let's just break it up a bit? Yes, yes. I think the sort of the second review, I thought, gosh, this is really this is a really dark tale. We need (laughs) we we need something. We need the goodness. And I think to just keep that positive thread, the hope that these women are going to succeed Mm -hmm. was enough of the. And also sort of the link to the title sort of implies, you know, that these women are on a journey of growth and, yes. you know, fingers crossed they will get there in the end. I think, you know, to, to, to have that element of that, that hope for them all is the strong pull that carries us through. But yeah, yeah. the first the first version was dark. But... <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you about the title and the cover because it's, I, I like it's really different. The cover really stands out. The title in bloom, I just think there's something very positive about it was that the title all along were you involved in the cover no 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 the title came to us but sort of had the idea of some sort of growth I liked buds but it didn't hold the same sort of you didn't look at it and sort of get what it was going to be about yeah but the when the cover design came through I was just gasped I was so delighted there was just absolutely nothing nothing to say apart from how very gorgeous it was so uh, yeah 
just being my only my only influence was I wanted the delphiniums, the, the blue delphinium, to yes. come out of the block of flats, just to symbolise Delphine there in her little her little window, and all the hope, hope and hope of blooming. <laughs> did you prefer? plotting the story or did you prefer editing it afterwards what was the sort of oh bit? gosh I much prefer editing I just seem to I just love it I really get involved I'm not sort of particularly sensitive about what I lose I just you've got it you finally got that that full manuscript and you you can make it so much better as I said before it was just the hardest thing to work out how to put it down on paper and I was just relieved when I sort of reached those 80,000 words. I thought, oh, my goodness, I've, it's there now. So now I can just, I've got sort of the meat. Now it's time to do the trimming and, yeah, make something delicious with it. But I don't plot. I'm quite terrible. As I'm writing, I'm writing, trying to write the third. And bizarrely, the fourth are sort of coming out in tandem oh, at wow. the minute. But they never, nothing ever comes out sort of chronologically I will just write scenes however it comes in my head and I will do all sorts of head swapping and I'll worry about it all at the end and then that becomes the big task sort of piecing it all together because in my head I know the story but no it's just the way it comes to me so I just my sort of method now is just if I'm feeling the words just to get them out and I can worry about making them beautiful later oh gosh that's fantastic so how long did it take you from when you first started you know, when you type chapter one and then you it was all done and dusted. Well, there, there was a very small section. I had an idea for this that I used when I did my open university degree, which was, gosh, three years ago, three, four years ago now. I completed it. And this was one of the assignments, the character ah. of Delphine and her daughter Roche. So there's a scene in the book where they're in a cafe together. So the, the characters have sort of been growing in the background, trying to work out, yeah, how to how to put their story down on paper. So it's 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 an idea that's gosh, a good five years old, but to write it finally was probably about four or five months. And yeah. identity is very important to you with your writing. Is that something that you want to put in each book that you that you write? Is that a real important factor I don't really think about it until I've done it and then I read it I think ah yeah I can see you can sort of you can see where elements of yourself bleed in as well so uh, yes definitely it's subconsciously you're not saying right I need to address this I need to get this message across Mm. it's just in you it just flows from you and I think that's glorious I'm glad (laughs) it comes across that way yes yeah everything I sort of everything comes from the heart I can't write to prescription it's just all based on feelings and things so for that to to sort of come out and sort of unconsciously that's a good thing for me so what's the biggest challenge for you in writing I think sitting down and making myself do it because (laughs) I've got three kids it's really busy here and it is just protecting that time when there's so much else to do to prioritize it I still find that even though writing is my job now, it's really tricky. So I have, I have coming towards my deadline for In Bloom, I did take myself off here and there to, to Airbnbs, just, just ones around the corner from the house, just for that sort of peace of mind oh, yeah. to, to shut the door and just focus on, on the task at hand without sort of the washing machine bleeping and the orthodontist and, you know, all the, yeah. all the manner of, yeah, <laughs> the domestic drudgery. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Just to get those words done and be able to focus. That's right. Yes. Yes. Just to focus. Yes. Just to put it first. (laughs) 
Well, we come to the final question, which is the most crucial one on this podcast. So please prepare yourself, Eva, for this. And it is about biscuits. And it is what biscuit powered the writing of In Bloom? What was your biscuit of choice? Biscuit of choice? Oh, a McVitie's dark chocolate digestive by choice. Fridge cold. Milk chocolate is unacceptable. It has to be a dark chocolate one. (laughs) Or... Four, <laughs> normally four. <laughs> well, whatever works, because your writing is brilliant. So keep keep eating oh, thank those you biscuits, so much. Eva. It's just been <laughs> lovely to talk to you and hear more you about too. In Bloom. Eva Verdi, thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. Splendid. So let's get on to the next book, So Late in the Day by Claire Keegan. Let me read you the blurb of this one. After an uneventful Friday at the Dublin office, Cathal faces into the long weekend and takes the bus home. There, his mind agitates over a woman named Sabine, with whom he could have spent his life had he acted differently. All evening, with only the television and a bottle of champagne for company, thoughts of this woman and others intrude, and the true significance of this particular date is revealed. We do the first sentence? Yes, we will. So late in the day. First sentence. On Friday, July 29th, Dublin got the weather that was forecast. I'm not reading you anymore. It's a very short book. It's 40, 47 pages long. And yet, how has this book stayed with me so long? I read it. I read this book a couple of weeks ago. And I'm still thinking about it. I'm still thinking about the characters in and the story. I don't know how Claire does it. I love her books. They're short, but they pack a punch. It's got everything in there. I don't know if she writes a bigger book and then strips everything away that she doesn't need. I don't know how she does it, but I love it. I love her books. She's definitely an auto buy for me. I think they are profound and moving. So late in the day, Claire Keegan. Yes, thank you very much. And now we come to The Turn Glass by Gareth Rubin. This is a book and a half because there's two sides to this book. Let me find you the blurb. Which side do I read you the blurb on? I am going to read the blurb on... Oh, it's very difficult because... Well, okay. let me read you this bit. You'll understand a bit more about why I'm pontificating. Pontificating. That's a good word, isn't it? Anyway, imagine you're holding a book in your hands. It's a book that is two books, two intertwined stories printed back to back. Open the book and the first novella begins. It ends at the middle of the book. Then flip the book over head to tail and read the second story in the opposite direction. Both covers are front covers and it can be read in either direction or in both directions at once, alternating chapters to fully immerse the reader in it. So you've got one book which is set in 1880s England and you've got the other one which is set in 1930s California. I actually read the Californian one first and then went back to the England one. But I hadn't even thought about, I'm only seeing it now, that you could read one chapter at a time in each one. Basically, it's an incredible book. It's so different. You could read one half and then the other half, read it chapter by chapter if you're looking for something that is different, that, I don't know, will make you think. It's unlike anything I've read before. I got confused at one point, but that was definitely me. I thought it was such an interesting and different sort of book. I think if, as a book club, you've got a bit fed up of doing 
similar books and you're looking for something completely different, this would be good. This would be a talking point. But yes, wow, what a book, The Turn Glass by Gareth Rubin. And now we come to the final book, which is Philippa's new way of titling it, The Body on Scarful Scaffold Pike. I'm sorry, my parents are going to be so upset with me not knowing how to pronounce that. But anyway, it's a late district murder mystery by S.J. Brooke. Now, this is the first in a new series and it's a short book. It's still brilliant. Don't, I'm not saying it's short in a bad way. I, I, I quite like a shorter book. 267 pages. So it's not short, 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 but it's just one you can sit down and immerse yourself in. Let me read. I didn't do a first sentence of the term glass, but I don't want to give I don't want to give anything more away. I just want you to see what you think yourself. Anyway, here we go. A renowned mountaineer and self-described fell runner is found dead in a deep gully on one side of the pike within hours of announcing his intention of breaking the world record for the quickest continuous summit of every peak in the Lake District. Only a month into the job, D.I. Jess Chambers had been hoping that Cumbria would offer a slower pace of policing than her native Belfast, but this first case already sees her out of her depth. A local mountain guide, Margot Voice, proves to be her biggest asset as she begins her investigation into the mysterious death of this world-famous athlete in unfamiliar terrain. But as legions of his online following descend on the lakes to pay their respects, it becomes clear that this was no accident. Jess and Margot must solve the case before more blood is spilled, but in a community such as this, sometimes the truth is more dangerous than a killer. Da, da, da. Right, let's do the first sentence, day one. Oh no, that's not, that's of the investigation. Let's do the very first sentence. Something was wrong. Very, very wrong. There we go. That's two sentences, actually, and that, that's what you're going to have. I love the female characters in this. I like the writing. I'm so interested in seeing how the series progresses. I like it being based in the Lake District. I know lots of other people will as well. I just thought it was, yeah, it was great. Really enjoyed it. And those are your books. We finished. What books have we had today? Let's have a quick recap. We have had Just Between Us by Adele Parks. And Adele very kindly joined us on the podcast today. We've had In Bloom by Eva Verdi. And Eva very kindly joined us on the podcast as well. We've had So Late in the Day by Claire Keegan. The Turn Glass by Gareth Rubin. And The Body on Scarful Scaffold Pike by S.J. Brooke those are your books. This is me. This is it. We're over. I'll be back again on Friday with some short five questions in five minutes. And I'll be back again on Monday with more waffle. I hope you're okay. I hope you're doing okay. Just look after yourselves and I'll talk to you very soon. Take care now. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. That's enough books, said no one, ever. See you again soon. 
People that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.